You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by my fearless co-host, Sexy Hour Sean. Hi. And possibly pantsless Rick. How are you guys doing today? Thanks. Let's dive into some nerd news. And now it's time for Nerd News. We got some big stuff. Actually, we, should probably, we probably should mention the fact that there was an error in the Kickstarter success calculator that we yeah. resolved. So if you so downloaded that when you heard this last week, you might want to just re-download it because there was a slight error. It was, it was actually under-projecting the results. We did this estimate a long time ago. It's actually episode one of our podcast where we estimated how many referrals you actually get from Kickstarter versus how many people you actually bring yourself. And the average we came up with was for every six backers you bring, Kickstarter is going to bring four more. Um, so in essence, you bring 60% of the backers, Kickstarter would bring 40%. And it ranges up and down, but our calculator was calculating at 28%. And so we had to, uh, we made a, an error in our equation. So we had to update that and the numbers look better, but um, they match what our data showed. So uh, yeah, so let's, let's, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up um, eBay acquired tcgplayer.com, which is a big deal because eBay is, you know, one of the, the old school .com sites that survived and thrived through all of that. You know, they are, they, made you know buying used stuff popular and there was a lot of trading card you know transactions done through ebay i personally back in the day when i played pokemon and magic and everything um i got like you know 75 positive feedbacks from just trading cards and you know i would buy cards sell cards and uh, and trade cards and so ebay just bought one of the largest trading card um well it's like, you know, strategy articles, news, you know, decks and, and price guides and whatnot. But uh, one of the big features of TCGplayer.com is that you can actually trade cards between, uh, between users. And, uh, you know, making trades online is uh, actually legit on that site. So eBay purchased them for a boatload of money. And that's a, a really curious, really curious thing. I am very interested in where that's going to go. But it only means that, you know, I mean, trading card games and other types of games are getting taken more and more seriously by major companies. And so this, it was nice to see that, you know, Asmodee didn't, didn't buy another company, but, you know, a new entrant into the industry is, is just taking it very seriously. I think eBay's just trying to diversify their portfolio. I mean, if you look at it, they've been around forever and they haven't really done anything new lately, <laughs> except for buy PayPal, which so they're just buying things that complement their their platform and that will keep their platform going. Well, it shows you there's a, a market there, which is strange. I always thought kind of those types of games would kind of fade as people kind of realize, hey, this is pay to win or <laughs> Yeah. You know, this is just like a a means to suck money out of my wallet. But uh, it's interesting that they're still going. Well, and you still have collectors too. Yeah, there's a sense that trading card games that they don't boost the packs. They kind of touch the fringes of being illegal. Is it technically child gambling that they're doing? You know, it's like a little jackpot. You, know, you open up this little bag. Is there any difference between putting a, a coin in a machine and putting a lever and then getting randomized loot? 
It's kind yeah. of a very similar mechanic. <laughs> I went to a, uh, a little private Lutheran school until I was 10 years old, and they banned pogs and they banned collecting Pokemon cards. So, like, you, I, no, no, you could you could play them. You just could not trade them. Okay. So it was like, it's like, how do you expect? You guys are so to... young. You know, when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this or uh, Dungeons and Dragons decided to do a card game, and it's called Spellfire. So, me and my friends and my brother and his friends were really into the Spellfire game. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or played it. Pretty much a predecessor to uh, Magic. Um, oh, by the way, eBay bought TCGPlayer.com for two hundred ninety-five million dollars. So it wasn't a small acquisition it was a big one that's pretty big for a website yeah <laughs> yeah company employs 600 people which wow. is not a lot if you're going to make uh 300 million dollars off of a sale so so one thing i want to bring up that i think would be interesting to our listeners is that the digital ocean has dumped mailchimp after an attack leaked customer email addresses uh for those of you who don't know digital ocean is like a uh, web hosting company they are a linux cloud server-based system where you can uh, build your little websites or big websites because they also expand and decrease their servers based on what kind of uh, use you have. So uh, really cool. Uh, it's a more advanced hosting server company, so you can't go in there. If you don't know anything about hosting, you may not want to go there. But if you do, uh, they got really good prices and really good services, and they're always usually running really well. By the way, this is not sponsored by DigitalOcean. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So it seems like a lot of their clients were having emails, you know, not being delivered or being banned and blocked on MailChimp. And a lot of these clients have to do with cryptocurrency. So something to keep in mind if you're, you should always back your, your list up because you don't know if you're just going to get flagged by an AI and be out of your MailChimp account. Or MailChimp, according to their terms of service, doesn't allow the promotion of cryptocurrency. So if you're talking about changing your board game art into an NFT, you probably be very careful doing that on MailChimp. So I think that's the big takeaway from from this. We'll include the, the link in the show notes if you want to just check out the article. We, read more about it but the takeaway and why, why i bring it up is that you sort of be careful men- mentioning cryptocurrencies nfts in your emails with mailchimp because it is against their terms of service and you don't want your account being closed but speaking of cryptocurrency and nfts dun 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 a kickstarter game just recently went bust and they can't refund their backers because they used all their money um no. <laughs> game- that game is deliverance <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not yet. It's called Untamed Isles. It's like a Pokemon-like game, but with crypto stuff. Um, they made over a half a million dollars on Kickstarter a year ago, and uh, now it's uh, dead and they're broke. So, yeah, I guess crypto isn't going as big as everyone thought it would go. In fact, uh, there was a quote saying that the economic landscape has changed dramatically and the bleep has fallen out of the crypto market, is what they say. You know, that's curious. They made over half a million U.S. dollars on their on their campaign. So this wasn't like a small campaign. I'm sure that the rabbit hole goes deeper. But if you make half a million dollars for your game, how did you go broke? It's it's a lot of a lot of games are like that. At Kickstarter, at least for video games, and that's you know that's a hard one for people to. That's why a lot of people aren't you know backing is what they used to on video games. Because, you know, these people have like these grand plans of these video games they want and they get them, you know, million dollars, whatever they need. But then they realize it's not enough to develop what they need and, and go. Now, they, they, this company does claim that they didn't use any of the money to invest in crypto. It was all for the game only. But they just they exhausted all their available funds. They had 70 full time staff. Oh, and that's how they did that. 
and then they so have that they, they have that team have experience running a company. That's how that's it probably yeah. And that's and a lot and well that's true for almost any Kickstarter practically. People are on a lot of people are on Kickstarter because they want to see their their you know their game or their design fruition and become you know real. But at the same time, you know, a lot of these people who are on Kickstarter um, aren't educated about business and don't know how to operate. That's why I listen to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Businesses fail for two reasons. One is not enough money, and the next one, right below not enough money, is bad management. And I feel that those two are linked so, I mean, they're tied so closely together because unless you started a business where you clearly didn't have enough money uh, or maybe you were not experienced enough to know how much money it was really going to cost or something like that, it, you know, the bad management is, I would say, why this game had to have failed because they made half a million dollars and they hired 70 staff members, which is crazy. They could have, if they had more experience in the industry, more experience working on these sort of things, they would have probably been able to get the same amount of output from a team that's two thirds of the size or half the size. I think that's where a lot of companies go bust because they pay people money that aren't really working to their full capacity. I'm sure they had a, I mean, they just funded this game last year. It was less than a year ago. I think they funded on September 25th last year, 2021. And so to go bust in under a year, it's like, oh. The video game industry, though, is also very a very cutthroat cutthroat industry. In fact, one of my favorite books I like to read, and I always bring it back up, is Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And it's a book that goes over a whole bunch of different independent and major gaming companies and goes over like a key game they did and all the problems they had, you know, building the game and whatnot and the issues. And it's gone from like a one person team like Star, Stardew Valley up into like things like Halo. And uh, it's really it's really a cutthroat industry. Also, though, the uh, video games have gotten a really bad rap on Kickstarter because of the percentage of actual video games being completed. Um, versus funded is 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 getting you know pretty pretty low. Or whenever we were you know the marketing team behind a video game that goes to Kickstarter, one of the biggest objections that we always have to overcome is why is this like why should I put money into this when it might not you know when it might not fund? And that's something yeah. that you don't really see board gamers or or other you know types of like tech products. You don't really see people asking in those industries because. In general, if they trust the person making it, it's going to get made percentage-wise. Very few successful projects in board games get or fail to deliver. Oftentimes, yeah. people will lose a little bit of money. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I lost a little bit of money on this thing because of shipping or whatever. But it's oftentimes not at the level where they're like $150,000 in the hole or, or something like that. But at the same you time, know? that's I mean the whole reason for Kickstarter. Kickstarter is a risk. And that's something you you have to take when you when you do that, no matter how big or small the project is. Um, for video games, though, I, I do recommend if you are going to kickstart a video game, have some kind of prototype already made or something like that. That will help not only help people understand where you're at in the in the game before they they back you, but also it'll give them a little more confidence in the backing because you actually have something already started and created and you're you're building on it. Yeah, or you have games on Steam, you have a portfolio, so you say, look, these are the games we have developed and can produce. It's going to make people far more confident that you actually have the skills and the ability to bring about a video game to the world. Let's say you raise a, a decent chunk of money. You know, what What are you going to do with it in the meantime, while you're working um, to make your to make your project? A lot of the, you know, I have, you know, six figure uh, amounts sitting in a bank 
for deliverance right now. And that's just kind of waiting uh, for the manufacturer, you know, waiting for manufacturing to be done and all that uh, so that I can pay that bill. And then the shipping bill and, and all that stuff. There are people that go through a situation like that where they're just like me, they let the money sit and then all of a sudden inflation takes up. Or if you're using a currency um, other than US dollars, your currency might devalue. And that was a real problem with people using pound sterling, uh, you know, Brits that were, you know, in the middle of fulfilling and just letting the money sit in their bank, their currency lost 10% of its value. So they had to spend 10% more to get their game manufactured, to get it shipped and so on and so forth, just simply because of what the market did. And that's a real concern. And I do know of creators that have decided to put their money into cryptocurrency. I actually know of one in particular that you know made a significant amount um, on their Kickstarter and the um, uh, they invested into Bitcoin and actually for them it worked out because they you know made a lot of uh, you know that's when Bitcoin jumped and they made a good amount of money on that. And as far as I know, they're on track to fulfill and whatnot, even with Bitcoin dropping back down. They must have pulled money out and whatnot before the, the drop. But um, it's such a risk, though. I mean, if you make money and you have a year between the time that you end your Kickstarter and then finally produce, I mean, that's a long time for something to go wrong. A lot of the time people ask me, you know, that when they start businesses, because I deal with people that that are in business all day long for our profession, you know, like uh, actually my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law just started his first real business, which was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. It's going well. He saved a lot of money and he was like, you know, I mean, I've, he, he told me I factored in every single thing that I could possibly need to factor in, you know, and he told me all of the things and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a really complete and quite exhaustive list. And he's like, yeah, I need, you know, $50,000 is going to be plenty, you know, including all the rent for a year. Uh, for for a facility, like okay, so I would just, for sake of simplicity, I would double that amount that you think you need, and he thought that was completely crazy, and now that he's like several months into his business, he's like realizes how much that wisdom rang true, um, where he he probably you know he planned fifty thousand, he probably needed eighty thousand dollars to make that business work. Just because there are so many things that he didn't factor in. And um, it was just, you know, happens all the time with Kickstarter. But I think that creators underestimate the amount of money that it's going to take in order to actually deliver a project. And, you know, you've got people that spent like 10 grand on a pledge for this particular project that are not like there are 10 backers that put $10,000 or more into this project. And, um, that's going to sting like for, for that to fail. <laughs> oh my goodness. They could be in on it. It could be a pump and dump. Right. Probably some influencer got their following to, to back this and then got a cut behind the scenes. You was going to fail. Hard to say. <laughs> oh, sounds like a member of Congress or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I guess with that large amount of depressing news, why don't we get into something way more fun? Email marketing. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, it's not terrible. It's 
kind of awesome and super duper important. In fact, I would go as far as to say, if you don't do a good job with your email list, it doesn't matter how well, you know, we as a marketing company do for you, you're going to really have a shade of what you could have had during your live Kickstarter. And it, I, I've been seeing lately companies that, you know, run a, a, a great email camp or I mean a great pre-marketing campaign and then launch to less activity than they, than they expected. And a lot of the time that kind of boils down to the way that you treated your email list. If you treat your email list as like just another responsibility, like you've got to get your email out every month, of course. But I mean, a lot of the time people really miss the point of sending emails. And so the backers or prospective backers that are on your list, they stop really following you very closely because you're not really addressing their needs and you're not, you're just not doing a great job keeping them interested and excited. So that's what we kind of want to talk about today. Just the, the numbers that mean you, you are keeping people excited. So we're going to have percentages and stats for you. Uh, people love stuff like that. But um, so that's kind of what we're here to talk about. Yeah. One thing we, we often get asked is what's a good open rate and am I in a good position to, to launch essentially do I have an engaged community? So we want to talk about some of the open rates that we suggest show that you've got an engaged community and what you should be trying to reach for, and then try to give some tips on how to improve your open rates of your emails. So there are really kind of two categories here, right? Uh, the, the first one would be email lists that are built exclusively for one project which oftentimes would be like a creator's first project. And then there are email lists that are kind of more, more mature email lists that maybe have been built over a series of multiple projects or certainly at least, at least two projects, right? So those numbers are going to be different. And so let's talk about what good <laughs> numbers are for each one. Sure. So well, let's focus on the, the first project. If you've got your game and you've got a new list, these numbers as well don't include your welcome email. Your welcome email will always have a very good open rate. And that's why we want to make the call to action very intentional, very strong with that welcome email, because it's going to have the largest open rate out of all your emails. So we're talking about every other email apart from your welcome email. So if you're getting between 20 to 30%, or we could say 30% lower, your emails need some work. That is anything above 30 is good. So 30 to 40%. Is good 40 percent plus is very good, and then fifty percent would be phenomenal. So you're really trying trying to break that thirty percent. Are you talking about a single open rate, or are you talking about sending the same email multiple times, and overall you should get that percentage? Um, so the I would say the average open rate for each email you want to look at um, separately. So for example, I sent out an email in August. And my open rate for that single email was 41.9%. And I had a 4.7% click-through rate. Normally, um, so open rate is what we're talking about. How many people that you sent the email actually opened the email? So uh, it's, it's very important that that open rate is good. And if, let's say one was, you know, my, I have a, let's say a 42% open rate with this one email. If it was 25%, and normally the email opens are around 40. You, I mean, there's, a, there's some significant indicators for uh, 
why that might be. But the click-through rate, though, is it can be like 0.2 if if you didn't have, I mean, or I mean, for me, I'm looking and just most of the time I get anywhere from two to five and a half percent click-through rate, uh, depending on what type of calls to action we're using and how relevant it is. So if it's like, join our Facebook community, I've had a, a my list knows that we have a Facebook community. And so we're not going to get like a huge open or a huge, uh, sorry, click-through rate on something like that. Whereas if it's like, hey, we launched our Kickstarter, then let me actually go down and see what that looked like. Deliverance is live on Kickstarter, 16% click-through rate. And that actually only had a 34.6% open rate. I had uh, two of those emails go out. And then, so anyway, in general, where we range between 30 and 40 Three percent. Our retailer list is like 60, 40 to sixty percent open rate. But I only have like you know forty eight people on that list. So um. <laughs> your mom opened it. <laughs> that's, no, she's not. A, she's not a retailer. Well, that's a, a good point you bring up because the smaller the list, the larger those open rates will be as well. So as your list gets bigger, the likelihood of more people not opening it increases, doesn't it? So yeah. You know, we've had clients that have come to us and saying like, hey, we have an email list of about 500 people. And one in particular I, I can think of, I don't want to uh, name them or anything because um, I didn't ask them, but uh, they were like, hey, we have a list of about 500 people. We've run um, like at the, at the time, it was like two very uh, small but successful Kickstarters. And they said that we've kind of, we feel like that well has run dry. We've been marketing to these people and they've supported us. They bought our games and now they all have our games. So they can't really, other than sharing or something like that and following along, there's really nothing else that they can do. So they've kind of gone, you know, uh, flat lines. And so the email list, it's not very um, useful for us other than delivering information to to people. But there's no way that they, they, they don't engage, they don't buy and that sort of thing. And they don't really open as a result. And so I think that um, the maturity of an email list, whether that's even one game, like for mine, Deliverance, um, dominantly we have people on our email list for one single game. And that's a game that I am in the process of fulfilling. A lot of people on that list have bought the game or have decided that they're not going to buy the game. There, you know, there are other reasons that I use that list, which is, which is something we can talk about other than trying to get people to buy or support the game. But if you are trying to get people to, you know, do the desirable action at a certain point, you're going to have the vast majority of your list decide to either do that thing or not do that thing. And if that's all you're kind of using that list for, and you're giving them the same message over and over again, you're going to lose the, their interest. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, maybe even talking about how to keep an email or just a group of people that you're sending emails to engaged might be a good idea I, because that's it's one of the biggest problems that we encounter um, when, because we offer uh, the, you know, doing an email, uh, a series of emails as a service on behalf of our clients and, you know, it works and everything, but a lot of the time, you know, our clients need, they need to look for ways to save money and they, 
they decide to do the emails themselves. And I, I felt like I didn't really have a strong podcast or any sort of resource to send people for how to make sure that their email list, the people on their email list keep opening and finding those that content valuable. Yeah, so we did have a podcast where we gave some tips on writing emails. So we can put down the show notes to get into some of the, the details of the, the body and text of the email itself. But in terms of long, longevity, getting people to come back over a long period of time, I think the, the, it's always going to start with the subject line, right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing someone sees. So you really have to get good at writing subject lines. And going back to our Dan Bo, he was like a sales master. Uh, that episode, we can clear the show notes as well. The, the key to sales is building intrigue. So your all your email subject lines need to build intrigue. And you can do this with questions. You can do this with assertions that like, ooh, what's this about? And then I think the other the key element is to be authentic. Uh, we, we get a lot of questions as well. How do, I, how do I craft organic posts? And I don't think there's a formula necessarily, but being original, authentic, and adding real value to people, if those are... A, the forefront of your mind as you're crafting your emails that's going to improve the your email marketing strategy as a whole you need, yep. yeah, you need to sound like a, you need to sound like a human <laughs> um my my inbox is inundated i get hundreds of emails a day and of course usually it's someone trying to promote their seo product or service overseas or whatever not and i as soon as i open it i can tell within like two seconds if it's like a legit personal email or if it's just something that someone sort of sort of, you know, cobbled together and, uh, trying to sell you something, just, you know, yep. yeah. And you I could tell, it, and you could definitely tell. Another thing that turns people off because we also consult for a lot of our clients that might not necessarily hire us for email marketing, but they want to write their emails and get us to consult. So we'd be doing that. And one thing I, I often notice is that they will make the emails about them, about themselves. And it's good to reference yourself, but it should only be in as much as it benefits the people you're trying to reach. So bringing up something about yourself that is relevant to the game. You've got to be quite cynical. A lot of people might not care about, I think once you develop a relationship with them, that certainly can become an easier thing to do. But I think, especially when you're starting off and you don't have a track record of anything, people just want to know if your game is is fun. (laughs) Is your game going to be worth investing in? And talking largely about yourself could probably turn people off. So you want to be careful of, of doing that. And where's your emphasis on your, emails i would focus on trying to convince people that your game is fun so it could be you know i played the game with my family this weekend and their friends came over and i don't know this is a really bad example yeah i actually think that's a great example because so i've had this experience myself where you know i'll invite friends over to play the game and or you know deliverance and we'll you know i'll take pictures and people have fun and that sort of thing and i'm recounting this experience in an email update and the way that I try to frame it, it, it would, like you were saying, it's, it would be very easy to make it all about me and how awesome they, they thought the game was. And of course, like I'm giving their quotes. So of course it's going to be awesome. Why would I say they didn't like it? Um, so we ended up playing a different game instead. You know, the, the me focused is not really going to move the needle for people. The focus is really for me, whenever I use an example, I try to imagine somebody that's reading that is going to look at that experience I'm describing and decide if they want to replicate that experience for themselves. So 
if you frame that very same example, if we had friends come over, they played the game and they loved it, you want to describe it in a manner that this person picked Michael because that character is more of the fighter type and they really like playing that. Then this other person picked Shula and that's more of like the priest archetype and they really like playing a healer and, and being a support character and so on. And, you know, you, you write in a way that is like, uh, you might have the, you know, the, uh, like the classic magic example. I, I can't remember their names. I know it's Johnny and Spike and someone else where they have very different play styles. You want to talk about the players and say, this player really uh, did this strategy and they had a lot of fun. This player just tried to ruin everybody because of X, Y, Z. And that was hilarious or, you know, whatever, but you get the people reading what you wrote and saying, that's me. I want to have an experience like that. And that is the really, I think the core of any story that you write, you want somebody to reflect and say, I want to have a similar experience. Whenever you sell a service, for example, like our crowdfunding nerd service, we had, uh, we launched Robomon this last, uh, you know, with Gabe Barrett just this week. And it funded on the first day, 50 grand or, you know, and now it has like over 600 and something backers and, and is at like 75,000 or whatever. That is an experience that I can tell you about just to, if you're listening and when it comes time for your Kickstarter, you'll say, yeah, I would, I would like to have a similar experience because you know, the, if, if uh, he can do those uh, things or if they can do those things for one client, maybe they can do it for me. So when you're talking to people about the experience of your game and how fun it is and how awesome it is, make sure you leave room that they can almost like take the role of one of those players or at least understand where those people are coming from with decisions they made. Don't just tell me that it's fun and show people. A, we have submissions of, of projects where it's like a very, very basic game and they have pictures that make people, I mean, it's like the 90s um board games uh pictures where there are like two kids that are like completely shocked at how fun they're having or how much fun they're having on the back of the box i don't know if you guys remember those types of oh, advertisements yeah. or, and it's just uh, not realistic yeah yeah or, the, or, or like <laughs> like connect four and he's dropping in it's like there's an explosion like <laughs> yes yes you got it and and um mousetrap was a game that was really popular in the 90s because they had the fully built mousetrap thing and the the little cup that traps the mouse was dropping and like four kids were completely shocked with like you know their mouths gaping wide open and that kind of thing and um that's just not and the experience you have with that game that's now it's pie the game face. is a contraption yeah. that you have to build that your dad has to build <laughs> yeah, it takes like two hours to build and then one in one second it's gone now however yeah. though everything in your game isn't always unicorns and cotton candy so let's get a little more realistic also on this um, when you convey an email, as long as you have a happy ending, I think it'll all go well. In fact, you can say, you know what? You can send out an email saying, oh, this game sucked. And then when you lead them in, you say, you know what? We had a really bad time playing this game until we figured it out and changed this one little rule. And then you can go over how, how exciting and the game became once you did a change. So if you have a change or update in your game, 
uh, something like that would work very well too, because you're you're intriguing your reader and bringing them in. Say, you know, because first of all, like what you're telling us that your game sucks, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, we we fixed it, and now it's really cool. So as long as you give them a happy ending, just like all movies, I, there, there's rarely like how many movies out there give like the worst ending in the world, like a bad ending where the evil guy wins. I mean, the percentage of that is like one percent. So uh, and usually it's because the villain is the star of the movie, but. Um, <laughs> so yeah as long as you give your your readers a happy ending i think all will be good (laughs) yeah i i do agree that framing things in a positive light is very important you want to be real with people and you know the way that i mean the reality is that gaming like playtesting and and development and whatnot there are problems and people want to know what your what challenges you're encountering and, and what you're doing to work through them. For example, I have, uh, you know, we're, um, we have all of our, our molds done for our miniatures and people like the minis and we have dice and a bunch of other things, but the dice, they have different shapes on different, you know, different size pips on different sides of the dice. And there's not enough white space or negative space in between so that you could discern what that roll was from like three feet away. You don't know if it's a six or a five or whatever, and that's a problem. So it's important to it to like talk about the challenges that you're going through and what you're going to do about it. You don't need to say it all ended up working out well, but you can tell people these are the challenges we're facing. This is what we're doing about it. And, you know, other things like that, maybe a particular play style, like a, for, for a game of yours is you know, one winning strategy is like by far superior to all of the others. And it's good to let people know, yeah, we've kind of determined that, you know, whatever, uh, trying to collect as much wood and build as many walls as you can is the winning strategy. So we're looking to balance that against, you know, whatever else it is. Sheep. I don't collect any sheep. I mean, everybody knows if you play Catan that sheep are bad. I always try to go Monsanto, get that wheat. (laughs) Earlier in the podcast, you did mention that you sent out two emails um, for your Kickstarter launch. Um, Could Mm -hmm. you go into details about like what made them different or were they, were they different at all? Or did they have different headlines or, or what the open rates were or what the, uh, you know, what, you know, what made them, what made them, made them two emails? Yeah. um, So in general, what we always recommend is an email resend. If you're, you know, so you're going to have a a percentage of people that see your email and don't open it, but the vast majority of people that see your emails are going to actually open and, um, you'll have, you know, when, when I mean, you know, there, there are people that get sent an email that it just goes to their spam folder. They have never had any intention of opening your email maybe. Um, you know, so they gave you their the email address they use for spammy stuff and they just didn't want to hurt your feelings at convention or, or whatever. Right. But you've got, um, if you're building the email list, right, the vast majority of people that you put on that list are going to appreciate receiving information from you. So there are a lot of people, I mean, emails are just, they just flood in and keep on coming, right. You know, all of our social media is connected to email. Everything that you buy is connected to an email now and, and so on. Right. So you get a flood of emails and you're inundated. So it's really easy to miss something that is very important. So um, what I always do, I always recommend this is 
you resend important emails to people that did not open the first one. And I would say, uh, you know, you can do this with every single one of your emails, but um, it's super duper important during Kickstarter. So like, let me, let me scroll back to it um, on our MailChimp. We had our deliverances live on Kickstarter that we sent out 34% or 34.6% of people opened it, um, which is to me a little bit low for people that I expected would, would be interested and ready and so on. We sent a 24 hour reminder, 34.8% of those people opened so that they can be ready, you know, for launch day. We did a deliverances live, the, you know, the, after I hit the go button and saw that it was live. And we also did a reset. So Tuesday, June 8th is when we launched at 10.02 AM Central Standard Time. I sent out the uh, uh, email to about 3,000-ish recipients. I'd, I resent, or I, I, I don't know, it was like a high 3,000s. I resent that email one day later. It's like 25 and a half hours later is what I'm, I'm looking at to all of the people that did not open. Interestingly enough, I received more opens on the second email that I sent, which is rare, very rare. Uh, I received 1,233 opens for, on the first email that I sent, 574 clicks. Those were by far the most engaged. I mean, almost half the people that opened the email also clicked. So they were ready, right? But then the, the resend, I received more opens on the resend. I received 1,236 opens on that resend that came a day later, but only 230 people clicked. So there were less clicks, but we got, you know, between the two emails, you know, tw almost 2,500 people open up those two emails versus if I only sent one, you know, so I basically was able to to get to about 70% of the people on my email list between those two emails. And that's what that's really what you need to do, right? Another cheeky way to, to reach people who don't open the first email is to send an email once you fund. Say, we funded, and you send it to everyone again. And that mm -hmm. way, it's, it's announcements to people who backed that you funded. But also, it's a reminder to the people who didn't open the first email that, hey, we're live on Kickstarter, and you know, it's funded now, so jump on board and... That's a, yep. a, you can send on the same day if, if you fund the same day, because yeah. we want to know if you funded or not. I was, I was recently in a uh, group zoom with, with Frank Kern, who's a marketing expert. He's been around for decades and he does a lot. He's been really big in the email marketing. He said now, now this is an extreme side of it, but he said he sent out an email to his list one day and same thing as like, you got like a 30% read and, you know, conversion rate and blah, blah, blah. And so he decided to reset it to people who haven't opened it yet. Well, he decided to do that for seven days in a row because he said every time he did the resend, he, he made money and his conversions were great. So he just kept resetting it. He did seven days in a row, entire week, the same message. He said, I didn't change a thing. He's all, I just hit the resend button to anyone who did not open it. And he said every day he got his conversions and he's like, I just did it for seven days because it's such a good thing. So that is an extreme side of that. But yeah, it shows that, you know, resending um, really works. In fact, you know, like I know Andrew said, like he, you were surprised how uh, not as many people like when they first sent it um, 
you know, you're, you're more hardcore players, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't open it and stuff like that. But that could also be like, maybe they were at work or something, or maybe something was going on. I mean, it could have been the middle of the night for them. You know, they're in a different time zone. So, I mean, your first email, although you want the best to happen, you may need to resend it once or, or twice before people actually can, can get to it or see it. Well, they click the Kickstarter email that was sent prior. You know, if you launch, right. you get, get the Kickstarter email, it could have gone out before they received your email. So there's, there's probably lots of factors to that. Definitely. And, and part of that, you know, when, during a Kickstarter launch, it's, um, uh, I don't want to say it's a bad example. It's not, it's a good one, but the, it's maybe not the best example because with Kickstarter, our strategy is, you know, you've got the Facebook group notification, a Facebook event, a notification on discord, the Kickstarter notify me on launch, you know, email that gets sent, like you said, your email that gets sent and, you know, everything hits at once. So, Hopefully they find one of those and in a, in all actuality, they'll probably skip over the, the email if they found, you know, if they found, saw it on Facebook first. So yeah, that's true. So more, more commonly, you know, people would be in a situation where they send like a once a month update. It's very smart to send your once a month update and then a week later send, uh, do a resend to all the people that did not open the first one, because, you know, if they open the first one and they get the exact same information, you know, they're reading it a second time. It's kind of, uh, you know, annoying to them. You want to schedule that resend about a week later. And usually if you get about a 40% open rate on your emails, you'll get about, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20% more from, from the next one. The idea is that you will reach more of your list with the same information and all of the people that receive it will find it valuable. When we're, you know, what we're talking about here is like, how do you keep your email, like the people on your list? First of all, the people that are on your email list are all the numbers are each individual people with opinions. There's a reason that each one of them individually decided to follow you. They're looking for some sort of information and you know, they all joined your list, presumably for the same reason. Let's just say it's for, for your game, for your project. And they want, they want to follow and, and, you know, keep updated and see if it's something that they would buy or that they would be interested in. And so it's your job to give them information that they're looking for. And so the, uh, the idea is if these people signed up because they wanted that information, it's, you know, and they're busy, let's just say, um, you have to work to give them that information. And it's not always going to be easy to get their attention, but you have to be diligent about it. And if you fail to resend an email, for example, if you fail to resend your emails, but you send once a month for a year, but you fail to resend your email list, there are not going to be as many people that open your email list or your email. I've worked with clients that have, you know, for five years, we would send an email twice a week. And over time, no matter, I mean, they, they would just add their customers to that list and try to resell their, their customers, you know, several years into the future, they would buy another product. And that's kind of what they used their, their email list for. It was a, a, a huge email list, uh, well over, it was like uh, 200,000 people or something that they were sending emails to twice a week. And they would get, you know, from 10 to 16% of those people open, they would make 15,000 to $30,000 per email send. And they would do that twice a week. Um, over time, I worked again, I worked for this company for about five years, sending their emails and whatnot. They 
we would notice like good emails, let's say three to four years later, would be like 12 to 10, you know, 13% open. And emails would actually dip below 10% open rates. And that's just simply because the email list is getting more mature. If you're not engaging those people on a regular basis, if they don't find your content interesting, then they're not really going to open it. And I, I think part of what you need to do as like a, a board game or, you know, really any sort of creator is to make sure that when somebody opens the first email, that they found that content interesting and they're looking forward to the next one that you sent with more information that's current and so on and so forth. What I was to su suggest is if you plan to launch on a Tuesday, you should be sending emails out on Tuesdays. So you're training your list that they will receive correspondence with you on Tuesday. So as you're building up your pre-marketing email campaign, people in your list are familiar with the fact that every Tuesday or every other Tuesday or even once a month on a Tuesday, you're sending them an email. So when you do launch, they're used to op opening emails from you on mm -hmm. essentially the launch day. So that's something you want to keep in mind. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing is emails are, you know, if it's once a month or even like you mentioned once a week, some people do once a week, you want to find ways to involve the, you know, your list in your stuff that is not email. We use email marketing as the launching point. It's the most important sign up that you can get that's not a sale. If they join your email list, you can send an email to them to say, hey guys, we have a Facebook group. And you can say, hey, we have a Discord. And you know, we have, you know, follow us on Instagram or whatever it is. But yeah, so you want to involve your people in your Facebook community, in your Discord server. There will be people that um, will just resonate better with a social community versus something that's email driven. Um, you, you, you don't want to only communicate via email. And I think overall you'll, you'll maintain your list longer if, you know, people fall off, let's say, you know, you're in the middle of working on your Kickstarter, uh, you know, to fulfill it. Finally, when it gets there, a lot of the time, you know, maybe your game arrives at people's doorstep, then they get reignited and are very excited. Where are they going to go? Where's the first place they're going to go to look for information? It's probably not going to be your email list. Like when was the last time Andrew sent me an email? Um, no, they're probably going to go to a Facebook group, Board Game Geek, a Discord server, you know, to talk to others about the thing they got. And so that's, but that in, in the end, it's your email list that drives signups to those things. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. If you're interested in our brand new Kickstarter success calculator, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash Kickstarter dash success dash calculator. Drop in your email and you'll get our really cool spreadsheet that will help you estimate based on emails what kind of uh, outcome you might get on Kickstarter based on your email campaign and your Facebook marketing. So check it out because that's very important. And that's a lot of the stuff we discussed is in that cal built into that calculator to give you the numbers that you may need for you to see how your Kickstarter project does. Otherwise, if you like this episode and want to check out our previous episodes, visit, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And we also have this great humongous community on Facebook called the crowdfunding nerds community just give it a look up and join and you can see 
all of our lovely friends out there who are also creating Kickstarter projects and are on various stages of those projects. And so until then, stay cool, stay nerdy, and we'll see you next week.